Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the Doom Watch episode. Flight into Yesterday. Episode synopsis. It is 1971 during the golden age of jet travel, when luxurious planes plied the skies, serving Victorian-era foods in aspic. And it is on the tail end of a series of rapid turnaround London to Los Angeles to London luxury flights that Dr. Quist finds himself disembarking his plane and being whisked immediately to a meeting at number 10. Quist appears to be drunk and is sent home. The minister sees this as his chance to get rid of Quist once and for all. Back at Doomwatch HQ, Barbara, who was also on the trip, isn't at peak performance either. The team hear about Quist's drunken appearance at number 10 and put two and two together. Or, or more accurately, they put 11.25 and 11.25 hours together and realize that Quist and Barbara have been traveling almost an entire day back and forth across timelines, and are showing signs of extreme jet lag. Faye Chantry begins testing Barbara's reaction times. Doomwatch informs the minister that Quist was just jet lagged, but he is dismissive of the idea because he has Quist's doom in his sights. He orders Quist to take two weeks leave and contacts Ridge and orders him to go to America and give the presentation Quist had been sent to give. Quist had been suddenly called back to London because the Prime Minister got wind that Quist was going to blame all major threats to our environment on the doorstep of governments. Ridge is instructed not to do that in his version of the presentation. Ridge, however, is a cunning bastard and forces the Minister's hand, making him travel to America to give the presentation, and then he'll have to immediately return to the UK and have an important meeting. Ridge anticipates that the Minister will be impaired, just as Quist was. The minister knows this is what Ridge is doing, but scoffs at the notion that he will have problems. Quist, however, gets wind of Ridge's plot and puts a stop to it. He demands that if the minister is impaired when he reaches America, he ask for a postponement on the presentation. America is thinking of setting up their own doom watch, and it is too important to let the minister botch it up. On the flight... The minister is entertained by Ainsley, the gregarious Scotsman from America who had previously flown with Quist and showed him and Barbara a great time. Back in Britain, the pieces are starting to come together. Ainsley is employed by a firm in America. Their clients are a who's who of U.S. and U.K. companies that wouldn't want the Doomwatch concept to spread to the United States and who would favor the U.K. version having less influence. Ainsley is using the fact that the effects of jet travel across time zones is very similar to the techniques used in brainwashing. Ainsley uses the flights to sway his victims, in this case, the minister. He encourages him to eat, drink, smoke, and not get any sleep, and even whisks him away for more food and activity while they are on layover in New York, all the while working on getting him to change the speech he's preparing to give. Alerted to Ainsley's mission, the minister's staff try to stop him, but Ainsley has it all sewed up. A rush of reporters storm the minister, hitting him with loaded questions. Just as he's about to say something seriously regrettably, he has a heart attack and falls to the floor. Ridge, who did all the right things to minimize jet lag on the flight, picks up the speech and heads into the conference to deliver Quist's original presentation. Later, it appears the minister isn't dead, but Quist is angry at Ridge. The minister is the only person that can keep Doomwatch afloat. He must continue on. The end. I think that it's quite funny that in listening back to these episodes, while I'm editing them, or perhaps when they come out on the feed, I don't remember which, that 
I made a smart aleck comment in one of our earlier episodes. I said, what's next? Jet lag? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, jet lag. (laughs) Apparently it is. I feel I feel vindicated <laughs> or cheated. I'm not sure which. Um, anyway, so what did you think of the episode, Simon? Well, I yeah, I mean, I was going to I was going to say it's sort of not. It, I mean, we've, something you and Ben have talked about is how how sci-fi Doomwatch is, and somehow it doesn't always go that far into the future into science mm-hmm. future to give you something that is beyond our current understanding of course you've got to take you've got to take it that this is 1971 um, but having said that it seemed to me that one of the flaws in this episode was that i would have expected characters to have a better understanding of the effect that jet lag would have on them i i might be wrong but um it is a very long time ago. Well, I mean, I, yes. I hate to say that. I hate to say that because, of course, I was alive in 1971, although not flying around on jets much. But it hasn't been that long in 71 that they switched from prop flown planes to jets, which was a significant increase or decrease in the transit time. So, I, do you, you know, can you get jet lag on an old prop driven plane i don't know know. i don't know how far how what's the range of a prop driven well you know they would they would fly they could certainly fly across the united states uh they fly to flied flew across oceans but although i think they had to stop in hawaii when going across the pacific um you know but that's more about fuel range not speed and the jet lag is really about the speed um, I guess so. I mean, I did wonder whether they were even going to use the term jet lag because at the beginning they were talking about time zone effects. And yeah. clearly for us now, the concept of jet lag is just so incredibly familiar. And Yeah. Did they ever not... use the word jet lag? Oh, they use it. They do use Today. it. Okay. When, okay. They're, when, when, they're, uh, when Duncan and the minister are discussing it... Um, Duncan uses the word jet lag, which makes me think that it is sort of common parlance and, and that the, the whole concept of jet lag is actually quite familiar. But maybe the kind of general understanding of it isn't so great and certainly the effect it might have on individuals. I don't know. It's, there, were, there were a couple of things in this episode, and, and this was one of them, that struck me as contrivances around the plot in order to get in order to get into a situation where someone didn't know something about what was happening to them or what was being done to them. And I have to say that I quite liked the central idea of uh, the the, the sort of brainwashing plot um, or the, 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 the kind of antagonist being scheming to use brainwashing techniques without the brainwashy even being aware that those techniques were being exercised on them and it you know it reminded me of the kinds of plots that the avengers would have been using only a couple of years before this really albeit in uh, in slightly more outlandish ways the avengers being the avengers but um the episode in particular that springs to mind is death's door because it's sort of having the same effect of of disrupting a, disrupting a conference by playing on people's psychology but the, it it was an ep- it was a it was a concept they returned to time and time again because it's it is quite a sort of fascinating and slightly frightening idea that someone could have access to aspects of your psyche without you even knowing it in order to um bring about some effect on you and and what was nice about the way it was because because we're obviously in Doomwatch, we're not in the avengers so it's much more much more down to earth and so it was done with a much more kind of yes minister approach where the the um the way in which it was 
the, the the kind of subterfuge was maintained was to sort of was to play on the the minister's pride um so that for example when he had flown to japan he was convinced that it was a success and i thought yes that you know that is quite quite plausible and you know even quist had although although i liked the fact that he acknowledged that he had been played and he'd been convinced of something it was playing on the things that it's easy to get quist to believe like that ainsley is uh, terribly inefficient and so he kind of ignores and 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 that you know that the, the typist had been sent or the the uh amanuensis whatever it was had been sent at midnight and he thought this was efficiency and everyone else not being nearly as efficient as his own team rather than it being a a, a conspiracy he he likes to mm. to cock up what what was ainsley trying to get quist to say I I think that what Ainsley was trying to do was to discredit Quist, and he was doing it in a number of ways, including making it known to the Prime Minister that Quist was going to talk about governments being responsible for environmental damage. Okay, I was I I have a question here as to what is what is Ainsley's. I mean, I get what Ainsley's end game is for the minister. But I wasn't sure what his end game was for Quist. It sounds like he engineered for him Quist to be pulled back. Was that his original position or was that his fallback position? Like, well, I couldn't convince Quist to change his speech and say Doomwatch is a bad idea or whatever it was he was hoping. So my fallback is to get him called back to Britain and get him discredited there. Don't know. Or, or just to get him to screw up at the presentation, I just wasn't quite sure because they really never went into, they never really went into what Ainsley was trying to do other than the actual acts that he was performing on Quest, like sending the secretary or taking them places to, to eat or whatever it happened to be that, that he was doing. They talked about those things, but they never really talked about the words that Ainsley was using on them. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. Um, but they're all to the same on. end. I mean, the end is clear. Destroy Doomwatch, yeah. Well, well course, prevent, I mean, pre- prevent... It's an affront to prevent, freedom. The, the number one goal was to prevent the Americans setting up a Doomwatch. The number two goal was to discredit the British Doomwatch. New to it. Yeah. Well, while we're just briefly talking about Ainsley, then I'm just going to skip right to his stuff. One, based on those reporters that were asking questions around the minister at the end. I am deeply grateful to the forethought and the, the, the understanding your capabilities and your lack of capabilities by having Ainsley be an American with a Scots accent. <laughs> um, I'm not entirely sure that I, not entirely sure that I buy the argument, but perhaps that's because you know, there's a lot of Scots who go to America. What? Yeah, I suppose there are. And yes, well, but, ba- ba- but Bar- Barrowman's a Scot with an American accent. But with it happens in the United States. Now it's a little bit different. 1971, if you saw somebody with a, a UK based or a British Isles based, let me let me not get political there. A British Isles based accent. It was an Irish cop in New York. And because all of them came over here and either became criminals or cops. And that's where all the British accents were. Or it was a snotty academic, but they didn't live here. They just came over to be obnoxious. And so, you know, when they talk about us, they have, oh, he's just an immigrant. Lots of Scottish families moved to America. And then he's got this broad accent. My first thought was, oh, yeah, we're still doing the whole, doing that first generation. Not a patty, obviously, because he's Scots, but... It just didn't go, go right. But I, then, then I heard the Americans reporters and I thought, yeah, good, good. They didn't try. Good. They didn't try. <laughs> uh, I didn't. I, I have to say I didn't give it a second thought. I mean, I didn't I didn't see I didn't see this because I was more I was more taken by the fact that um, it, it, it being Robert Urquhart and apologies. Spoiler coming up for an episode of the Avengers here, but uh, he is in 
one of the best episodes and he excels in as no as a scott oh okay um well i don't know he's in a couple of episodes but i wish you were here is certainly not one of the best ones um i'm thinking of castle diaz where he's angus diaz and so he excels at at playing these very um very kind of personable charming charismatic people who are you know they're a spirit of hospitality in the way that they behave and yet have uh behind it all uh, uh, their own deep and sinister private agenda so as soon as he was on i was like oh yeah i'm not i'm not trusting him <laughs> i remember uh, what he tried to do to mrs peel uh, oh yeah castle tf i, I remember that one <laughs> um at one point in this episode course we get uh, mo- all right let me now let me take a step back we talked previously and i cannot for the life of me remember which particular episode it was maybe it was more than one episode about how it was a real problem and we felt they could have handled the entire episode on the real problem but somewhere about halfway through suddenly they took a bit of a left turn and it was now an, a much more unrealistic problem and that diminished it. And obviously I, I don't think you feel that way about this episode, but it reminded me of that very much. Jet lag is a problem. Does jet lag cause problems? It's part of our modern era. Do we need to take into account for it? And three quarters of the way through, by the way, they're brainwashing people. Oh, but it wasn't three quarters of the way through. It was, I mean, I felt, like I, I agree with, I agree with you, but it, I, I, I felt more that it should got on with the brainwashing. It's it's sort of the other way. They should have got on with the brainwashing earlier and not bothered with the the jet lag thing because that just did seem to me a bit of a an unlikely way of trying to trying to the you see the the problem with the whole the whole brain uh, the sorry the whole jet lag thing was that you got into this situation where the minister was I mean I I. I, I quite liked the, the sort of politics and the motivations of it, but the minister was was essentially trying to say, Quist is is susceptible to the jet lag because he's not Damaged. up to the job. Yeah, hmm. and but I won't be affected by the jet lag because I'm too tough and resilient. And Super so. minister, yes, and and that. I mean, I, yes, I suppose that's where it came from. That that that's kind of necessary for you to get into the situation that you get in. But it it just seemed to me all slightly implausible because then Ridge's Ridge's uh, plan was that he would prove that the minister was affected by jet lag, and therefore he would either discredit the minister or he would uh, redeem Quist. Um, but it all it all depended on the effect of jet lag being presenting in a certain way, which you know seemed to me quite actually a, a, a quite individual thing. And the idea that it would prove something one way or the other, which both Ridge and the minister appeared to have got into, was nonsense. I mean, it was it's anecdotal. It's hmm. it's it's the effect it has on a couple of people. So although I liked the fact that um, the minister was clearly the there there was there was a bit of psychological uh, locking horns going on between Ridge and the minister, which was one of my favourite things in the episode because the minister clearly thought that he could play on Ridge's vanity and uh, appeared to be doing that and maybe even did successfully a little bit and Ridge was playing on the the minister's pride and that certainly seemed to work and yet at the same time both Ridge and the minister were sufficiently self-aware to say actually I know that's what the other one is doing um, but nevertheless I'm I'm going to do it anyway and I think if they if they hadn't had that self-awareness they would have been Rather more uh, caricatures than than um, mm. than we know them to be. So you know, I I like the fact that Ridge, I feel Ridge upped his game in this one. You know, not only did he play on the minister's pride, 
but he ran around him and brought the hammer down from above on him too by getting somebody over at parliament to bring up questions about decisions that made the minister in a position where he even more had to prove that this was wrong and yeah you know whereas the minister was trying to play on ridge's vanity he was you know an amateur compared to ridge in at this game as he should be ridge being former mi6 uh, well, I perhaps say, the minister though, has natural advantages in that he, you know, he he has more within his gift to offer. But Ridge, Ridge made use of his contacts and his cunnings quite quite effectively. Mm-hmm. One thing I do want to say though is the minister's reaction is very, yes, it's a bit of a cartoon, but at the same time, it's very real. You know, let, let's face it, who hasn't go well? Yeah, you know, three drinks, I'm fine. Yes. Right. I mean, that's that's exactly what the minister's saying. Well, like, sure, Quist can't handle his plane flight, but but I can. I'm, you know, I'm better than the average bear. And it, it just it's so realistic. What I found very much unrealistic was and I by no means am going to claim to be an expert on jet lag. But I've done enough 14 hours trans-Pacific flights both ways to know and to and I've tried every technique that everyone has ever said, you know, that I could find on how to minimize the effects of jet lag, which are different depending on which direction you're going. I, or indeed, I'm how, surprised they didn't mention that. I thought they did at one point very early something about the east-west difference, but but they really didn't. It just sort of, you know, particularly going this way, it really wasn't later on a problem. In fact, if you'd flown all the way over and then you'd flown all the way back, wouldn't you be fine? Indeed. <laughs> I mean, apart yeah. from the lack of sleep and everything, which that is, a, that's not jet lag per se. That's no, but it. But what's what's nice about the 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 plot is that it has Ainsley manipulating it to make sure that you. You know the 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 effects so of the possible, time zone true, alterations yeah. are maximised, so that you don't realise that you're not getting sleep. So you, so effectively, yes, it is sleep deprivation, which is of course a brainwashing technique, but without you realising it. What I also dislike was the portrayal. I've 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 seen a few people with jet lag. I've never seen anybody behave like Quist. And admittedly, I've never seen anybody drop of a heart attack from it either. But um, <laughs> you know that that drunk, that drunkenness was just way over, way over the top, and it just Barbara's I, I, wasn't exactly right either. I, to, from what happens to me, and and again, here we here we have. Oh well, I'm not affected by jet lag. Is I'm absolutely affected by jet lag. But the biggest single thing that you notice that I notice, and it doesn't matter. Uh, which way I travel, although it does, it does make it, it. It is different. Is that like when I get to Asia, I will be fine until suddenly at some weird point of the time that is neither bedtime there nor bedtime here, and just suddenly my body will go. You are asleep now, and it just boom. There is nothing you can do except crawl off somewhere and. And go. And and the opposite happens when I come back, which is I just wake up at weird times, no matter when I get to sleep, no matter when I eat, doesn't matter when. I, and also I get I, I can tell you when it is lunchtime, no matter where I am back at home, because it just I will. Ah, it's time to eat. It's very weird. I'm sure I'm impaired and I'm sure I'm tired and cranky coming off the plane because uh, I don't travel well anyway, because. Uh, nowadays when you're six foot three and you're stuck in an airplane that's not a that is not an enjoyable thing this is not like those beautiful giant seats that quist and the gang were sitting in on that plane which i'm guessing was first class but hey it doesn't matter um you know that's just so yeah that part bugged me but i'm curious as to whether or not it's ever happened or whether it was postulated at that time 
that maybe somebody could use plane flights for brainwashing. So I've never heard that before, but not, I, not yeah, once. Yeah, I mean the the the, the contrivance is that it's the, the the effect of the brainwashing is to appear drunk and not to realize that you're appearing drunk. And I don't, I you know, I have no idea whether that is in any way remotely plausible. But I'm inclined to believe it is purely because it gives us what has to be the best pre-titles of any episode of Doomwatch so far when it's Dr. Quist is drunk. Boom, cue titles. It's the doom. Yes. (laughs) I mean, well, I, I, I guess... It's that's you know, blo- better than blowing up blowing up Toby might tie with it, but I'm not sure if that counts because that was just an, a recap. So uh, I'm I'm calling it. It's it's the greatest, better than injecting <laughs> uh, some fish. I was going to say it's so much better. Uh, it's up on par with Trial of a Time Lords. Um, some of those. The charge is genocide. <laughs> I mean, wow, the cliffhanger. He's drunk. Boom. <laughs> Cue. <laughs> Q Starfield, it's time. I <laughs> let's see. Um, so, as you, you alluded to, Ridge has uh, played a little bit. To the minister is, I think, reading him out pretty accurately. He wants a Nobel Prize. I'm not sure what he wants a Nobel Prize in, but hey, it's not a it's not a bad ambition, as as Ridge says. Um, what about his uh, comments on Ridge's clothing choices? What about them? Well, uh, he's on the says money, that, isn't it? Is it? I mean, they're 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 appalling. But is it intended to show? Is it a conformist who is intentionally dressing nonconformist to fool people into thinking that he's not a conformist? Is that that's what I got out of the ministers? Yeah. Well, yes, I think that. I, but it's more or less what he's saying. He's trying to. He's trying to demonstrate. I it. It's his ambition that um, that the minister insists that he's trying to hide, and it it does tie in. I mean, in in, in a number of ways, I think, and, and part of the reason why I like this episode so much, it kind of throws back to the 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 kind of internal politics, the internal doomwatch politics that were uh, around at the start of this series and you killed toby wren which were presumably connected with uh what was in survival code had we had we been able to see it and and it's kind of hinted a bit out early on in like the, the red sky although far less effectively and it's a particular it's it's almost like we've you know you, you've got the issue of the week episodes and then you've got the the sort of internal politics arc because we're picking up on some of the the, the, there's there's even references to uh what occurred uh in Mm -hmm. in in the incident um you killed killed toby wren yeah toby at byfield and and um and you know the recurring characters like duncan or or this minister so i duncan is the permanent secretary right duncan is the permanent secretary that's correct okay so so yeah I I I like that and I like the fact that it gives these characters a chance to develop a history and so to me it makes perfect sense that that is how the minister reads Ridge because he's aware of this this past that Ridge has had and I I think it makes sense I mean I I'm certainly willing to buy it because it does explain why Ridge did what he did then, and yet Ridge has stayed around at Doomwatch, and he he is a bit mercurial. I think he it, it when when he turns up in a suit in the next scene, although it quickly becomes apparent what he is up to. I'm not I'm not ready to predict it. I I kind of think oh well maybe you know maybe he has decided that he quite wants Quist's desk. And obviously his colleagues are, are willing to believe that too. So I think there's hmm. something in it. Um, Ridge takes uh, his speech to the minister for approval and the minister thinks it's really good, to which Ridge dumps on him. That's Quist's speech. 
Um, this is obviously down to the minister just doesn't trust Quist. There's a there's a question somewhere in this episode about where Quist's allegiances are, and you know whether it's to forgot what his choices were. The government was one of them. To science was another, and might have been to the people. I don't know the environment, but it, it's an important it's an important distinction in this episode that we understand that there is. I mean, I take it wrong. Truth, fact, um, and then there is political truth and political fact. And you know, even the minister tells Ridge, "Yeah, all the threats in the world are the government." Basically, all, all major threats, threats are, uh, yeah, are the government. And they're at the door of the government. But I'd never say that in the public because, you know, that would and, be... And, who, and who would he say it to? I mean, the thing is, there, is there, are, there are more shades to it than that. Question, who is the minister's loyalty to? That's a good question. Is it the party? <laughs> is it to power? I, so, I, I mean, I, 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 I think one of the things here is that there... There are various agendas at play here. And the idea that the government is a single entity is, of course, massively, massively simplistic. The, the, the government of the day is made up of a number of different individuals, each of whom have their own agendas. The minister is one of them. And it's the, the thing that's interesting about Quist is that I don't think there is any sense that he has... The the minister recognises that that he doesn't have any personal allegiances. Quist does not have any personal allegiance. I think, in some way, his early hopes with Ridge, and I think their relationship has maybe developed beyond this, but his early hopes with Ridge was that he could develop a personal debt by being the one who got him Quist's job. And then he would know that someone was in that role who owed him something. And the reason he might want to know what Quist's motivation is, is because it makes it easier to know which way he's going to go at any one time. To me, the minister is not necessarily telling the truth to, to Ridge when he, sa when he says that those are his beliefs. He's, te he's telling Ridge what he thinks Ridge wants to hear, but... His own view of, and, and I love the fact that at the end of this episode, we have Quist saying, you know, actually the, the minister is who we want in play. The whole, all of this stuff reminds me massively, massively of, of, of Yes Minister with all of the, all of the, you know, it's, it's, it is a, it is a sort of chess game between the politicians and the, the, the civil servants of whom Doomwatch, because they're permanent, are, are effectively, they, they are part of the civil service. Mm -hmm. And it, it reminded me in particular of an episode, uh, The Devil You Know, where everyone is convinced there is going to be a reshuffle. Right. And Hacker is running around trying to find out whether the Prime Minister thinks he's done a good job or a bad job, because it will affect whether he gets a better position or a worse position. But Humphrey and Bernard are also trying to find out, well, Humphrey at least, is also trying to find out which minister they might get instead. Bernard's view is that it's better that Hacker stays because he's just starting to learn the ropes and to, to understand how the department works. And Humphrey's view is that he's better, it's better that he goes for exactly the same reasons. And I think what we've what we've got a kind of glimpse of here is that something incredibly similar is going on with Doomwatch. Its, its, its position is precarious. There's an allusion early on in this to, to how when they're talking about having an American Doomwatch and the Americans are, are very interested in it, they're also saying Doomwatch makes the cabinet nervous and it's like a double-edged sword. It could go either way. It's Doomwatch could be good. It's good if the Americans are lapping it up and it's going to get get you some cachet with them. It's good if it 
exposes some uh, negligence on the part of one of your political enemies is not so good if it exposes some negligence on your part. And context is everything in terms of this. The more independent it is, and I think that's the key about where Chris's allegiances lie, the more of a, a, a threat it is because it is impossible to control. But at the same time, you don't necessarily just want to get rid of it. And all of that, I think, makes for incredibly effective political intrigue. So question, uh, Quist's final comments to Ridge about how they want, you know, this is the minister that they need in place. First off, you could take it to mean, I could have taken it to mean, that the minister's comments to Ridge about laying the problems at government's doorstep privately may be a true thing in much the same way that the minister knows that the jet lag is a problem, but he's going to play it like it isn't. And, and whether that's pride or whether that's chess uh, and he's bluffing hard to say, I think it's pride, but you know, it, it's a little of both. And Quist, if Quist thought that the minister actually understood that, then Quist could see him as someone better than someone who absolutely does not understand that. So there's the devil you know kind of aspect to it. Um, if you take it that the minister doesn't believe this, I, I I find it hard to believe Quist would think that that minister needs to stay. And part of this well, is... Well, no, it, I, I disagree. Of, I Sorry. I was going to say, part of the problem here is that if this had been the same minister we'd had all along, I'd, I'd be a lot happier with it. But they changed it up there with the fish episode. And then apparently they went back to the, the old minister. How does that work? Does, it, does that happen in Britain when governments change? Do you just take Minister A goes to Minister B and then back to Minister A again? Uh, it can do, but I don't think there's any... Don't think there's any indication that the government changed. I don't think. Okay, it might, might not be the government changed. That's right. He just suddenly we got a new boss. So we know. I'm going to suck know, up to him. We know who it is. We know. What do we know? We don't know. We don't know whether this minister is the the Secretary of State for whatever it is that we think this department is. Yeah, it's just the minister. He's just the minister. So, but he's clearly Quist's boss. Well, and and, and in the in the fish not, episode, it's not, like we got a new one. But there's a new minister. There's a minister who is new to his position. It's not clear what his position is. I thought it was clear that it was Quist's boss, the minister in charge of Quist. But I'm not sure that, that there is a minister in charge of Quist because Quist is a civil servant. Don't 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 all all civil servants ultimately be part of an org chart that there's a minister above somewhere. I mean, I, admittedly, the government where you've got the minister and the, so a permanent secretary or some position like that, that's ultimately got, they've got to answer to somebody. I don't think he answers directly to the prime minister. No, but it, no, he's a, he's a civil servant. So for, for, for one thing, the, Civil service working in a department will be part of a civil service organization for the most part within that hmm. department. And there will be nowadays one or two members of the civil service who are political appointments. If the politicians change, they change. Otherwise, the civil servants right. do not change. So they're not, they aren't, they are not, um, they're not political appointments. They're, it it it's very different, and it it certainly in the nineteen seventies it would very much have been. I I don't even think you would have had these sort of special advisor positions where they 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 would have had some posts that were that were political appointments. It would have been entirely that the 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 civil service advise the minister. The minister decides on policy, but the civil service are permanent. Doomwatch. It's not clear to me are a department which is led by a minister. 
I mean, you, you've, also, you've also got to bear in mind that, that any department is going to have more than one minister. So you're going to have probably a sort of Secretary of State who is going to be a cabinet level minister. But then you are going to have junior ministers who are going to have particular areas of responsibility within that department. And Doomwatch, and, 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 so, and so you're going, so you, obviously the organisational structure of that department might reflect that. So, you, so you, Doomwatch might be part of a bigger department, a bigger ministry, if you like, because we are talking about ministries. Um, so it's a department within that ministry. But it's not clear to me that it is the case that it is that. It might be a quasi-autonomous non-governmental organisation. I'm not sure if you had those in 1970, but that's you probably did, actually, because given that they go on about them in Yes Minister only 10 years later. And therefore, it's not necessarily going to be within the oversight of a single ministry. And we get this a lot in Doomwatch, which one of the things that suggests to me it has a more arm's length relationship with the kind of ministries within Whitehall because they do they do work for the Department of Health in some episodes and they do work for the Department of is it national security or something that this minister is the minister of? I don't know. I they do they do allude to it. I keep forgetting I shall have to note it down. I can, I, um, I just have, uh, have always assumed that just like it's like all old British television and all as we've discussed with Quater Mass, there's always a vagueness to the way they structure things. So they don't use real names and departments. They make something up that's it's like hackers not in charge of a real department per se. He's Department for Administrative Affairs. That's not really what it's called, though, right? There is no in, in Britain. There is no, exactly. Yes, See, it's a indeed, made up. And, well, and, obviously, and I, there is a department that does administrative affairs. So I'm I, guessing I, that... I, I, th I think that Doomwatch is something of a hybrid. The, whatever it's called, the Nas it's National Safety and Security or something like that. The, what sounds like the, the ministry that has overall responsibility for the area that Doomwatch works in doesn't sound to me like a, an actual ministry. But then... They do seem to have connections to their seconded to work on something for the Ministry of Health or Ag and Fish or whatever it is. And and those sound much more like, you know, they they're the real thing, in other words. So the question is, when Quist goes to impress a minister, which which department is that minister of? And is it in the same ministry? Is it a is it a, a a junior minister in the same ministry? Is it Secretary of State within that ministry? Or is it someone within a different ministry that Doomwatch has a close working relationship and the need to impress them is because of that ongoing close relationship? Because I get I get no sense that our 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 minister in flight uh, into yesterday is not the same minister who has been in post for when 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 was it we 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 first saw John Barron? I think we first saw him in first or second episode. Yes, but yeah, I first think he's episode. in plastic he, eaters. He's, he's in plastic. He's in, eaters, yeah. he's in plastic eaters. So so there he is. But um, just a you know a quick search. You've got a different minister in burial at sea. You've got a different minister in tomorrow the rat. Um, You've alluded to having a different minister in battery people. Um, yeah. We've got one of the previous ministers recurring in survival code and uh, John Barron then recurring in You Killed uh, Toby Wren and then reappearing in this one as well. And he never comes back because he's dead. So we've got... No, a, I don't we, look forward. Essentially, we've got a lot of people... We've got a lot of people as ministers, and yeah, but there's it, a difference it's, it's, in the way they refer to him. That, no, I don't think they. They're all. They're all. All referred to as just the minister. They never. I mean, it is oh, slightly get, strange but, because they don't say the minister for any any minister will have a particular responsibility. They'll be the minister for this or the minister for that. No, I mean, it? I mean, you talk about the minister. 
there's a <laughs> you know there's a there's there's a way they talk about him there's a way that they skirt around him like he has power over them as opposed to there's a minister over there who's being a pain in the butt that you know this this guy is clearly over quist in some way whether whether there's a civil well, service all, dichotomy there mm, yeah the issue, I don't think the we'll issue is this but the the issue the issue with doomwatch may be because it's because it's not a, it's not a question of being the guy being his boss he's not he's quist is a civil servant the minister is a politician the politicians are not going to hire and fire civil servants they are going to make decisions on policy and the civil service are going to implement it as a matter of policy if it falls within sufficiently within the the auspices of the ministry that they're in charge of a minister could decide they're going to abolish doomwatch which might not mean that chris doesn't have a job it would certainly mean he'd have to be redeployed so you can see there could be an element of 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 power in there that's what i'm talking about but yeah, I get that he's not going to give him a bad personnel employment evaluation and and say I'm sorry, we're letting you go. And I I get that, but sure. he has but what the I, fate what of Doomwatch in his hands, and Doomwatch is Quist. Quist Quist is not. There is a, there is Quist still a question a over whether whether the minister whether whether Doomwatch falls within the auspices of a department that is run by a junior minister, in which case there would also be a cabinet minister who you'd have to be concerned about because you know would the junior minister be able to stick up for you if the cabinet minister would say this should be abolished but there's also every possibility that doomwatch is not anything like as as that falls as neatly within some kind of um, westminster organization as to be entirely within one one branch of government like that and therefore there may be perhaps for next time but it but it all you know it equally depends on who's got the ear of the prime minister and all the rest of it Um, for the next time i'll see if i can't find somebody who's put together a a, an org chart for uh for doom watch um but uh let's let's move on um we hear the same we hear the same thing we have in the past just a couple other things you know environmentalists want to set the world back 200 years uh, regulation is a form of oppression. Um, uh, the 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 doom watch should be there to absolve the public guilt, but they should put up a good fight, but never win. Um, oh, those those things are just so repugnant. Um, and and of course the whole the whole. You know, America is, is the land of freedom and and regulations against freedom. I wish I had never heard that phrase, but I've heard it so many times in my life. Um, you know, if we just do what you want, everything will be fine because that's freedom. I, I, I wish these didn't ring so true, honestly. I mean, not true as in... I know environmentalists not, want to set the world back 200 years, agreeing, but that, you're saying they are yeah. authentic representations of arguments that are well, frequently used. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And uh, although, you know, some environmentalists probably do want to set the world back 200 years, but you know, that's, that's not, you can't paint that as a group and say they all want to do that. So, um, no, great lines, the dark satanic mills that people fight for, the green and pleasant lands strictly for the picnics. Yeah, same thing. So what are you going to do with all that green grass? Just have a picnic? Come on. You could plow that under and make stuff, sell it to the Chinese. Oh, wait. But that's no, why that's that. why I really like this episode, because the actual plot is pretty silly when it comes down to it. And there's, there's <laughs> another contrivance that I haven't even alluded to yet, um, besides the jet lag one that bugs me. But all of the political shenanigans do they do ring true and and the and the dialogue in this is is you know is top notch don't you know, I, don't bother to stop for lunch at your club he says and he says well you know stopping from lunch at my club may be the best way to find this out mm-hmm. it, it's it's really good mhm 
I did not see the minister's heart attack coming. I did, I did part, not part, see part that. Was smoking and drinking and rich food. Oh, yeah. I will say this. There is, there is, thankfully, we don't live in this world, but words you never want to hear on an airplane ever, ever, ever. Stewardess, bring me a cigar. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I, would, <laughs> I think even back in those days, I'd have strangled somebody that had pulled that on a plane. So, um, wow. <laughs> Wow. Anyway. Yeah. It, it, no, I didn't see. No, because all of those things don't. That is a caricature, right? Whenever somebody says, well, I just had a double cheeseburger clogged my arteries today. It's like, no, you didn't clog your arteries today. What you did was you added to an accumulative effect of years of effect. And that's it's not like the hamburger is going to likely be an actual trigger. Something else is going to be the trigger probably stress ergo yeah. sort of sort of believable here in this point but you know the fact that he just spent well, the entire plane smoking and drinking and eating didn't do it it was the fact that he spent the entire flight being basically hyper stressed intentionally they well they... that's well that's the trigger that's the trigger we have he's yeah. he's someone who's susceptible to having a heart attack and within the logic of this story the the jet lag slash brainwashing effect is highly stressful but you know it, it's not it there's no Chekhov's heart attack in this you know we didn't see the evidence that he was gonna that he was susceptible to heart attacks at anywhere during the course of this story and so it really came out of the blue you know if he'd taken a if he'd like had to take a nitro pill or something early in the episode you go that man's gonna have a heart attack by the end of this story You'd have known it. You'd have been ready for it. But instead, it just comes completely out of the blue. Um, I just did not think that's how they were going to get out of this. You know, just I, I didn't know where it was going to go. I, I well, really it's, didn't. It's, and it, it felt a little like part, a cheat. Part of the, well, I'm not sure if it was. I'm not sure if it was so much of a, as a cheat because I I felt like it. I mean, it, it obviously depends on whether they were trying to portray the brainwashing as being particularly um how shall we say precise targeted uh predictable in its effects my feeling was that this was this was something that it was difficult to know exactly how it would present but the effects were sufficiently um disorientating for the victim to be able to embarrass them. And, and I thought that they were going, going, going strictly, the brainwashing was to get him to change that script to say no, 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 what I they don't wanted think, him to I say. I don't think it was. I think it was doing, I mean, this is, this again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where I, I sort of wasn't so worried about what Ainsley's goals were for Quist because they were all aimed at the same end. I, I'm not sure he knows what the I'm not sure he knows what the successful uh tricks will be. He's just he's just throwing it all at him and seeing what sticks. So mm. he's stressing him and he's trying to he he's trying to talk him into making some changes, but he's also trying to make sure that he will present badly. And then he's bringing the press in so that he will be embarrassed in front of the press. He doesn't necessarily have to say any of the lines that Ainsley's given to him. He just has to look bad. He has to look bad so that if except it didn't work, if he doesn't. Because say he nearly kills lines, him. Well, yes, yes, but I, but that 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 to me was the point, which was that he had he hadn't quite known what he would get. But as Ridge said, he pushed him too hard. So he, the effects were were unpredictable, and in fact, very unpredictable case. Okay, what's your what's your other plot contrivance that you haven't mentioned yet? Well, I mean, the thing that the thing that was really bugging me was that by the time that Doomwatch in London had worked out what the what what Amy was up to, they actually had enough evidence in terms of his who 
who was who was paying him, what his connections were, for anyone to be rightly suspicious of him. And so there are two there are two ways of approaching this. One one is you get your guys in the plane to try and kind of say you know lock horns with the minister oh no minister you've had enough when we've already established that the minister's pride means that he will prove that he's not susceptible to jet lag by poo-pooing all of their concerns and having one more drink anyway or you de-escalate you take him aside you say look i don't know what this guy amy is saying to you or um what he's suggesting you should do but uh, regardless of that you should know that he has been hired by these people and i would have thought anyone would do the second thing mm-hmm. but and and that's you know that would seem to me and 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 the minister on receiving that information because as we've said he's not he's not a complete cartoon um he would stop behaving as much as a buffoon and he would actually reflect on it but obviously that would that would spoil the drama so well also he's he's already formed a bond with his tormentor because as quist says you you get to like the guy because you don't want to you don't want to admit you've been played sure sure so and 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 i like i like that that works very well it's more that the advisors don't see that themselves they're they're basically idiots you're talking about and Q there. I I am indeed. I am indeed. They should they should have spotted what was going. I mean, he Q apparently got lost, didn't he? Because he yeah wasn't even at the lunch where this bevy of journalists turned up. Or, or so I'm willing to buy that he is an idiot. But still, you don't think? Well, he probably got into. They probably did something to intentionally prevent a press. Uh, press manager whatever his title was to be at a press event okay i'll give him the benefit of the doubt i'll give him the benefit of the doubt because obviously they to some extent they they played tricks on quist without him knowing that tricks were being played on him but by the time they know who ainley is and what his connections are they should know that they they need to up their game they need to actually take the minister aside because if 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 they if they let Ainsley do if if they let Ainsley be party to it, he will do whatever he needs to do in order to discredit them and stay in with the minister. So they need to take him aside. They don't even try to do that. You know, if he'd thwarted yeah, them doing that, I'd be happy. Yeah, they were they were pretty bad at they at were idiots. Restraining. And obviously Ridge yeah. didn't help, though Ridge Ridge I get it. Ridge was playing his own game, which was that he wanted he wanted Ainsley to go too far so that he could step in and give Quist's speech. And he would then not only ensure that the speech was the one that he thought should be given, but he would also get the minister out of the way. Um, I don't know that I have anything else. I just have I have a question um, that's totally tangential, which is like half. Half of my question. Um, is aspic still a thing? I, what's aspic? Preserved in aspic. <laughs> you something you preserve things in? But it's not no, like No, it's it's like it's like uh beef gelatin, so like if you made a fish and then you put it in a pile of beef liquid beef gelatin and chilled it so that it became a solid mass of goo. It's very big if you read through like all your uh, Sherlock Holmes era stuff, Victorian stuff. Aspic was a huge deal. I have never seen anything ever served in aspic in my life. I've heard of it, but I thought it ended a hundred years ago, died a death that it. But when they brought it up in 1971 as being the highfalutin food they're serving on the flight. I thought, wow, maybe maybe that's still a going thing in Britain, but I thought it went out with I thought it went out with the automobile. Um We've seen anyway. automobiles. Yeah. Well when the automobile came in. Sorry. Went oh, out when the automobile came into existence that long ago. <clears throat> well, 
What, you still have automobiles over there? <laughs> well, I was wondering what you got there. <laughs> oh, it's like, we're all on hoverboards. Come on. <laughs> Get with the program. You see, the reason you still have automobiles is because you have Doomwatch and they're stopping all the progress on <laughs> hoverboards. No, 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 it's the environmentalists. It's the environmentalists. Yes. Oh, yes. They're holding right. us back. They're preserving, they're preserving the automobile. Automobile. They're preserving wow. the last pick. If if you ha- tore up all those roads, the life that has evolved to live in that ecosystem would not have a place to go. Well, so right. I, exactly. Anyway, <laughs> do you have anything else on this episode? I have. I have nothing else. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. My pleasure, as always. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.